God goes to great lengths to rescue lost and hurting people. That's what the story is all about. The story of the Bible. God's great love affair with humanity. Good to be here, huh? Man, we'd like to welcome everyone. We might have some new guests today, so we are glad you were here. Uh, this is Cornerstone, and uh, if you're a guest, we have a cup for you, a coffee cup. It's been blessed, so whatever you put in it will taste better when you drink it, so make sure you get one of those. Uh, we're in the Story Project, and uh, it's, it's a, uh, if you don't know what, we're, what I'm talking about, it's a, it's a Bible that's written in chronological order, so it's not all the Bible, but it is all Bible taking us through the upper story of God, and, and in so doing, we also find a lower story that often will connect to our lives in the here and now. And so uh, it's interesting right now as we go uh, in this process, we're coming to uh, the end of the Old Testament. And so if you've started from the beginning in this project back in the fall of last year, and you've been reading along the way, I want you to give yourself a hand if you've been reading all of it a long way. It is very quiet. This is very troubling for people in leadership. Like, all right, what? Anyway, I was expecting more clapping. Uh, so here's the thing. Uh, for those of you who have gone uh, and stayed, in, stayed up uh, with, the, with the reading, congratulations. Uh, for those of you who haven't, there's probably been a distraction or two along the way. So it might have been a sick child, it might have been a family crisis, it might have been, uh, it, it been Christmas, getting ready for Christmas or something like that. Oftentimes there are distractions that keep us from tasks that we have debted ourselves to because we know they are important. We live in a world of distractions, buzzing phones, TVs blaring, kids are fighting, dogs are barking. I mean, it is crazy sometimes, right? Trying to stay focused on getting some important tasks done. The things that distract us are seldom more important than the thing we were distracted from. Can I get an amen? Is anybody tracking? All right, you know what I'm talking about, right? There, there are distractions that come into our life and they just pull us away from the most important task. Now, some of you probably made some New Year's resolutions, and if you've blown them already, what I want to do right now is give you a time to confess to your neighbor, so you get to turn to your neighbor and tell them that you've already blown your diet plan, your exercise plan, your Bible reading plan, being nice to your wife, being not kicking your dog, whatever it might be, you know. Uh, yeah, so uh, it's tough, isn't it? It's tough. We make, these, we make these commitments to things that are important in our life, but there are distractions that come along. Uh, and occasionally, a distraction is, is a good thing because our, we find out our child was sick when we're at work and we rush home to do that. Or, or sometimes God gets our attention like he got Moses' attention by distracting him from a shepherd role to looking up on Mount Sinai and seeing the burning bush. But most of the times... The, the, the most important things we're being distracted from. Uh, it, it's tough. It's really tough. Um, my wife thinks I suffer from attention 
Deficit Disorder, <laughs> ADD. Did y'all see that bird? <laughs> you know, all of us have those shiny balls in our life at times, but some of us, it really is a struggle. Like, it, it's, it's almost going to take supernatural outside help to help us stay focused. And so uh, sometimes we take the eye, our eye off the ball, and it's just, you know, swing and a miss, and it's not a big deal. But other times... Uh, If we take our eye off the ball long enough, we'll wind up five years deeper in debt, five years less healthy, five years more distant from God, five years uh, more separated from the big goal that we had intended to complete. And so let me just ask you, what is distracting us from the most important thing? Is it TV, keeping up with all your shows? Is it phones that are, you know, like constantly going off? Is it a hobby? Is it social media, keeping up with the news, or a certain relationship? What, what, are, what is distracting you from completing the most important task that is, that is, that is on your top, top list? So I bet that somebody's phone probably has already alerted them. While services started, it went off in your purse or your pocket, and you, you know, like, we, we get it. Like, there are all these things trying to crowd in for our attention. So perhaps this year you need to focus on a habit you must break, a project you must finish, a relationship you must rebuild or retire, a debt you must pay off, a degree you must complete. Some of you probably want to strike me right now. A ministry team that you need to serve on, you've, you've got involved, but like you've fallen away for whatever reason, you know. I don't know what your one thing is that you're trying to focus on this year. But my guess is that this list has triggered some thought, yeah, he's right, I really have to focus in on this. And there will be distractions that come along the way, and if we don't learn how to deal with them, we're going to miss the boat. We're going to not get done what we know we should get done. Now, chapter 21 in the story is a story about the third wave of Jews returning from Babylon captivity, uh, actually the Persian uh, captivity, to rebuild the wall in Jerusalem. And last week we talked about Queen Esther, and she was the queen of, queen, uh, of King Xerxes. And this week we're going to look at two men briefly, one of them just real briefly. His name was Ezra. And she's the stepson of Queen Esther. And so there's a connection there between last week and this week in family lines. But these two guys show up in the timeline. Ezra returns, leads a a group back, the second wave of Jews back in 458 B.C. And then a little bit later on, Nehemiah, his counterpart, uh, leads back the third wave in 45 B.C. So this is the timeline. And sometimes people are like, can't put the Bible together. So timelines help us do that. Now, Ezra was, was a pretty fantastic guy. He was a Jewish priest. He was a scribe. He was a leader. Uh, again, he led back this reconstruction project in Jerusalem. Uh, he also had the favor of the king that he served at that time. And tradition says that he wrote First and Second Chronicles. He wrote the book of Ezra. He wrote the book of Nehemiah and Psalms 119. He was also one of the men that probably participated in the canonization of the Old Testament early on. And so there were about 120 guys that were uh, uh, tasked to put together uh, the, what the Old Testament books comprised of. And so, so this guy has a lot of influence 
in Old Testament history, and it's telling to us. He was a very learned, dedicated man. He committed himself to the task that God called him to, and he got a lot done, and we benefit from his efforts. But our focus won't be on him today. (laughs) But I did want to mention him today. Our focus will be on Nehemiah, his counterpart. Now, Nehemiah is the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And so what's a cupbearer do? Well, basically, he tastes the food and wine and drink or whatever it is. And if it's poisoned, he'll drop over dead and the king will live. So, yeah, uh, I don't know how long they lived, but uh, you had to be really trusted and loved by the king to serve in this manner. And there may have been other tasks that he did. But Nehemiah uh, is cupbearer to King Artaxerxes. And, uh, and, and so this is how he winds up uh, helping Ezra and the Jews into rebuilding the wall in Jerusalem. And so in this story project, we've already discussed how how Jerusalem has been destroyed, and now it's in this rebuilding process. And a broken wall in that day and time was a sign of your city and your culture was broken. For the Jews, it was also symbolic of a broken relationship between them and God. And so if the walls could be rebuilt, it serves as a picture of not only rebuilding their culture and them coming back to some affluence and blessing, but also uh, uh, rebuilding this, this relationship with God that was so very important to them, like it is very important to us. So for about 300 years, Jerusalem had suffered wave after wave of conquerors. So first it's the Assyrian Empire. They come down and mess with Jerusalem for a while, don't wipe it out, but gives them trouble. And then the next uh, kingdom to come is Babylon, uh, is the Babylonian Empire, and they mess them up and carry them off to captivity and end up just decimating the city. And then uh, when the Jews are dispersed and gone and carried off to captivity, there are bands of marauders that come in and, and even do further damage uh, and camping out around the city. And so uh, th- this, this city is surrounded by people who really don't like the Jews at all. And so uh, it's, it, it, it's a hostile area. But the Jews, through the providence of God and through the answering of the calling of these men, Nehemiah and Ezra, they are given a new opportunity to rebuild what has been broken. And so uh, we read that Nehemiah tells us this, they said to me, so his brother Hananiah was one one of the guys who returned in the second wave from Jerusalem. He said, things are not going well for us, for those who return to uh, the province of Judah, Uh, They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down. The gates have been destroyed by fire. We heard this, and I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned and fasted and prayed to the God of heaven. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commandments, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for your people of Israel. I confess that we have sinned against you, yes, even my own family and I have sinned. So Nehemiah, he's serving King Artaxerxes. His brother comes back from Palestine along with some others that went with Ezra, and they say things are not going well. It, it, it's come to a standstill. We're in a lot of trouble. And, and Nehemiah is, is overwhelmed with, with sadness and grief. 
And so the first thing he does is he begins to pray and he confesses and, and, and he, he petitions God about his unfailing love, his, his, his desire to keep his commandment with the people that, that love him. And so uh, this is going on for a while in Nehemiah's world while he's there uh, in the, uh, what we would call modern day Iraq. And as he comes in to serve the king one day, his, his face is sullen, his countenance is fallen, he looks sad. And one thing you don't want to do in the presence of a king is look sad, but Nehemiah has a great relationship with uh, the king, and the king says, hey, Nehemiah, why are you sad? And Nehemiah says, the town of my ancestors, the city of my ancestors is, is, is a mess, and it's breaking my heart. And so uh, he begins to share with him uh, this, and, and King Artaxerxes is going to help him get the job done. And so he sends Nehemiah back to Jerusalem with a credit card to buy anything that he needs and a, a letter of authorization. When Nehemiah gets there, uh, he rides a horse around the city and he surveys the damage. He surveys what he's, he's going to have to work on. And, and he does this quietly and he does this carefully. And then he meets with the leaders that are remaining there in Jerusalem and he begins to share with them, hey, King Artaxerxes, my boss, has given me what we need to finish this task, and we're going to do it. And so the leaders of Israel are encouraged, and they're motivated by his leadership. They're, they're, they're excited that the king is going to step behind them and help them. And Nehemiah responds to them, and he says, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. And so this is what's cool about this book. There are no miracles in the book of Nehemiah that we're aware of. The task that they complete is immense. And what it comes down to is when this man, Nehemiah, responds to God's call and bays that call in prayer, and then uh, he moves forward, receiving the blessing of his boss, which is the hand of God, obviously. But when they get there, they just work at it. And they don't give up. And God blesses their efforts. And so, uh, so anyway, he organizes these groups of people that are remaining in Jerusalem. He begins at the northeast corner of the city. And they rotate around in a clockwise direction, rebuilding the wall. And so these Jews are renewed in their focus and their energy because of Nehemiah's uh, words and his leadership. But those outside the city are furious because a military, uh, I mean, a, a, wall, a walled city is a military threat. And so they're very troubled that these people who were once conquered, their enemies are now rising up and, and gaining strength. And so... Uh, uh, it's a military threat, this, this rebuilding of the wall. So some of the enemies, one of them Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the work was going on ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired. They were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw, throw us into confusion, Nehemiah says. But we prayed to our God. And guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. So they pray, they ask for God's help, and then with a trowel in one hand and a sword in the other, they continue the work. They didn't, they didn't succumb to fear, they, they ask God to help, God helps and they work. 
And so, uh, uh, as they as as this intimidation increases, uh, there there there's more and more trouble that 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 comes rises on the way. But an amazing accomplishment will follow that they complete the wall in 52 days. Like it's incredible what happens. Now Sanballat conspires to kill Nehemiah, and so we read this: Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies found out that I had. Uh, finished rebuilding the wall, that no gaps remained, though we had not yet set the doors in the gates. So Sanballat and Geshem sent a messenger asking me to meet them at one of the villages in the plain of Ono. But I realized that they were uh, planning, uh, plotting to harm me, so I replied by sending this message to them. He said, they said, come to the plain of Ono. And he says, oh, no. <laughs> like, he's like, I'm not going there because I know what you guys want to do. You want to kill me, right? And so um, his response to Sanballat and Tobiah is what I'm about to read, but I want to set it up a little bit, all right? His response are just a few words that I want you to memorize. And you know if I ask you to memorize a Bible verse, it's not going to be that long because I'm not going to memorize anything, uh, ask you to memorize anything that I haven't, all right? So, but what I'm saying is like if you could, if you could hide this verse in your heart, if you could bury this verse in the psyche of your mind, it will help you avoid those distractions that are taking you away from the most important work in your life. If you can read this verse and, 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 and keep it right into your mind and, and, and maybe you write it on your hand or you know write it in the front of your Bible, uh, it might save you from deeper debt it might save you from being spiritually weak or distant from God or hating your spouse or being angry at a, at a child. or it, it might revitalize a relationship that needs to be revitalized. This verse might elevate God's compassion in our community. It might begin a new ministry to uh, like celebrate recovery, one we've been trying to get off the ground for years to help those who are in, uh, in the chains of addiction. If you could grasp the import of this very simple verse, it could be a difference maker to the tasks that you know you want to get done. You ready? Okay, here it is. Nehemiah 6.3, I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. Say it with me. I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. You can use this on your way home today. You're driving your minivan that's loaded with those kids that you kind of love in the back. And as they begin to fight, and Sally throws french fries at Tommy, and Tommy throws a Coke, at, and they begin to complain, and they say, Mom, Dad, or whoever's at the steering wheel, right? You need to blah, blah, blah. And you say back to the back, you say, I'm engaged, say it with me, I'm engaged in a great work, so I can't come. See how this works? You're already excited. You're like, this is the best sermon this year so far. It's so practical. I can memorize this verse. This is going to help me. And, and so, uh, you know, if, if, you can, uh, if you can grasp the import, how simple this is, that you understand what your great work is, you know this is a God-honoring great work, and you're not going to let the distractions pull you away from completing the task. A lot can get done. They rebuilt the wall in 52 days. So you plan a family night. Like you say every Friday night or every Thursday or whatever it is. It's a family night. 
We're going to play games. We're going to eat together. There's not going to be any phones on. There's not going to be any iPads on. There's not going to be any screens on. And we're just actually going to look at each other and like know who that person is in our household, right? Remember those? And as you're getting ready to do this, then your buddies call you and it's time to go coyote hunting that night, right? Because there's coyotes in the land, right? And you say to them, no, 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 no. I am engaged, come on, in a great work. So I can't, see how this works? See, see how this keeps your priority your priority? Some great deal pops up on Facebook Marketplace, and you're like, man, what a deal. What, I won't tell you what kind of trucks I've been looking at, but what a deal. And you know you've already had this discussion with your spouse or your family about your family budget, and you know what your limitations are, and you respond back to Facebook Marketplace person I'm engaged in great work, so I can't come. My wife said that really fast. Like, she's like, yeah, I got it now. Uh, when you're tempted to miss going home, like, because your boss, you know, or, or there's some deadline, and, and, and it's really, you know, it's just really important. You need to, you know, you need to stay late, stay late, stay late, stay late, stay late. And suddenly, suddenly you begin to say to your boss, Hey, I'm engaged in a great work at my home. I can't come or I can't stay in that matter. You get out of bed one Sunday morning, right? And you go get your coffee and you sit down and you open up the paper, you open up your Bible, whatever, and you hear your pillow call to you, come hither. And you say back to your pillow, say it with me, I am engaged in a great work, so I can't come. And you're in church. You're in church today because your pillow didn't win. Right? You get it. Like, I'm just telling you, you can do this. You can find financial freedom. That 10, 10, uh, 80 principle, you know, give 10, uh, uh, save 10, live on 80. You know, first give, then save, then live. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. So if, if, you, can, if you can remember this, this verse, it will help you complete your financial plan. It's so important. But Sanballat, in our story, he doesn't give up. He's not done with Nehemiah. Nehemiah doesn't respond. So you know what he does? He distracts him five more times. And they sent to me four more times in this way, and then I answered them in the same way, manner. In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent a servant to me with an open letter in his hand, and it was written, it is reported that among the nations, and Geshem also says, like, who's Geshem? Uh, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you are building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem, hey, there's a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent him this saying, no such things as you have done. Uh, have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. So they try to distract him four more times and then they threaten him with a lie. The great work that God has called you to, so it might be family, it might be your spouse, it might be your kids, those are all great works. It might be serving at church, it might be starting a new business that you know God has really opened the door for you to do this. It might be completing the degree, it might be, you know, whatever it might be. Whatever that great work is, we all have purpose in Christ. Whatever that great work is, do you think it's, it's, you're not going to be distracted? Do you think you're not going to be intimidated? 
You think there's not going to be things coming along the way that are trying to, to, to trip you up. They are. That's just how evil works. That's just how life works. And so when opposition came, they prayed, they got back to work, and Nehemiah kept leading and encouraging them. It's an amazing accomplishment to rebuild the wall. And so in this next story that you're going to see and hear, you're going to hear about a woman who engaged in a great work, and God did great things through her. Hi, my name is Kim Walker. This is just a little bit of my story about how good God is. I've been through cancer twice, as most of you probably already know, but I've been through breast cancer twice. And the first time I went through it, um, I knew God, but, and I prayed and I knew God, but there's a difference in just praying and believing. And God, this time, God really showed me that difference. And um, the power of prayer has really been powerful in my life for the past four or five years now. Um, I started coming here at Cornerstone in 2012. I had had a surgery um, that I almost died. It took them six hours to fix me. And um, coming here and seeing who God is through the people, through His people, through, through you all and the way that you love on me. And the power of prayer has been so powerful. I remember one day, it was when I first started coming here, I walked through the doors and me and Bob was talking and he was talking about a prayer ministry and he wanted to do that. And I thought, I know he's not talking about me because I talked to God, but you know, that's just between me and God. Well, little did I know how my prayer life would become so much better because of just that one statement because I kept hearing it in my head and I thought, if he believes in prayer that much, I wonder what prayer is all about, you know? And so I could tell you so many, so many incidents of where God has opened up doors through prayer. When I had breast cancer the second time, I was standing on my front porch and I had found out. And I told God, I said, God, I don't have a husband this time. And I don't have a family that really takes care of me other than my mom as she's needed with my daughter. And I thought, what will I do? Well, God provided. Not only did he provide for me and my daughter, he provided for mom. My church family came and they fed us and they loved on us and they carried me to doctor's appointments. And oh my goodness, the peace that surpasses understanding, it was given to me and I've never had that before. And all he wants is, and he, he spoke that to me um, when I had cancer the second time. Um, I was battling, trying to figure out, which most of you know, whether I wanted to do chemo or no chemo. The doctors had told me that if I didn't take chemo, it would be back in 10 years and it could be all over my body. So it wasn't something I took lightly, but I knew what it would do to not only me, but to Brooke, for me to be sick, for me to lose my hair, for me to be in that kind of condition and her have to witness it. But I told God, I said, I'll do whatever if you just give me that audible voice. And I couldn't hear from him until I got alone and I worshiped him. And I, I was just telling him, God, I don't know what you want me to do. You know, all I asked was that I didn't have to take chemo. And I heard just as plainly, I didn't tell you you had to take chemo. The doctors did. Do you trust me? So at that moment, I realized it wasn't even about chemo. It wasn't even about the cancer. It was about relationship with God. And do you trust me? There was a day when I, would be, I was going to Gretnam. And I didn't have a lot in the house to eat. And I was praying and I was like, God, I don't understand. 
why this man that I was with at the time won't help me. I said, all the men that I've been with before have helped me and this one won't help me. And I heard just as plainly, I don't want you to depend on a man, I want you to depend on me. And I had been so broken in my finances that I had to humble myself and ask for help. And that really, really hurt my pride at the time. But I did that and, and the power of prayer and the power of God has, those four years, I'm telling you, if you knew what I made financially, you'd be, you wouldn't know how I make it because I look at my finances and I don't know how I make it. And I felt like God said prayer because I don't think you realize how powerful prayer is until you're in a desperate time. But if, you, if we do that on a daily basis, if we talk to God on a daily basis about everything, from the littlest of things to the biggest of things, it's called relationship. And to have a relationship with God, I'd go through everything I've been through. And I've been through a lot. Sorry, I'd go through everything that I've been through just to have that relationship with Him. And that's what He showed me in those four years, that if I will put Him first in everything, every decision, everything, and I will do it through prayer and, and, and patience. He's still working on me with that one, by the way. But have patience and wait on Him, then He will guide and He will direct. And He's faithful and He loves us. And He's not a God that sits up there and waits for us to mess up. He loves us exactly where we're at. So this week I've been saying, I can do relationship. I can love, but I can't do it on my own. So that's something that I'm praying about and continuing to pray about because when you come from brokenness, it's hard to love, but through God, I can do all things. Through Christ who gives me the strength, I can do all things. So when Brooke was born, um, I knew at that moment that there was something wrong because Brooke, if her eyes was open, she was crying. And that went on for the first month of her life. They finally put her on three different formulas and by the end of the month, they finally got her on aluminum, which was $7 a can. She was going through two and three cans a day. But anyway, we finally got that under control. But even that, I knew something wasn't right. But now that they tell me what autism is and they explained it to me, then I understood because when they told me, when we went and had her tested and they told me that it was autism, I had no idea what autism even was. Um, I had never heard of it at that time, didn't know what it was, and I thought, well, it's just something that she'll outgrow. And then I read about it and it was nothing that she would outgrow. They said it was a lifetime thing and that, um, you know, there's nothing that, no pill to take, no way to fix it. So I had about a three-day pity party where I cried and I asked why and I said, finally I said, okay, God, I'm gonna do my part and expect you to do your part. Once she got in school and got in a rhythm and routine and I learned more about autism, um, she was on medication for about two days. The first day she could have killed everybody in the house. The sec that was for the ADHD. The second day, she was sad. She was uh, just out of it. So I went to her teacher and I said, if you think that her being on that medication will help her and keep her learning, then I'll put her on it, but I really don't want it. And she said, well, just give me a month without it and let me see. So from that day until she got in high school, she never had to be on any kind of medication. But once she started high school, she had anxiety and we had to do a little something. But um, it's, I can't tell you it's been an easy road, but I can tell you that God has been faithful through this, through this journey. It's not a journey that I would have chosen, 
but I wouldn't trade it for anything. She is amazing. And to watch her be able to cheer all those years, when she told me she wanted to be a cheerleader, I thought, oh my Lord, what in the world? You know, can we pick something where you just got to coordinate one part of the body? You want to coordinate the hands, the feet, the mouth, all of it, you know? And at the time I thought, well, she just wants to be cute in the little cheerleading outfit. Maybe I can find one of those, but she was determined. So somebody gave her a DVD and she practiced every single day for about two years. And in eighth grade, she tried out and I thought, okay, well, they just gave it to her. Went to the first football game and I was blown away. I stood there and cried because she never missed a beat. She never missed a step. They had to rearrange things to where they would start a little bit of the cheer because she didn't know the names of them. But to watch what God has done in her and through her has been an amazing journey. And then just a few weeks ago, I was at my house and this lady came and she told me that I had given Brooke's story a while back. It was on Channel 10 News and it was in the newspaper. And this has been when she was back in high school. And the lady came to my house for a ladies night out that we had. And um, she told me that um, Brooke is the reason why her son was able to get off medication. He's autistic and he was so bad that they had him on so many medications. And when she read Brooke's story that we had put in the paper, she went to the doctor and said, I want him off this medicine and I want to see what he'll be like without it. And I had no idea. It's been all those years. So I say, you never know what God's doing. And if you had met Brooke when she first come to church, some of you know, you only seen her doing this, playing her games. She would speak because she don't want to be rude, but she wouldn't even lift her head. And now to watch her do door greeting and hug you when you come in and tell you that she loves you. Oh, the power of prayer, the power of prayer. There were people years ago who engaged in a great work in building a church called Cornerstone. And it was ready, a soft place to land when Kim showed up. We were engaged in a good work, and then she got engaged in a good work of working through the cancer, of raising her child and then be involved in ministry, all the struggles that have come along the way. And that's just part of her story. And if you want to hear the rest of it, I'm sure she would encourage you with the other details. But I can tell you this, that when life comes crashing in on people, the Lord is their only salvation. And He has set up in His design to build a church, the kingdom of God, in places all over the world so people can find hope. And so I don't know what work you've committed your life to. I don't know what's on your radar. There are probably a couple things. But God has given us and called us to a great work. So stay engaged in what's most important. What's, what's the wall, like in Nehemiah's story, what's the wall you've been called to rebuild? What, what is that one thing? What's that one thing that you need to stay focused in on? What great project is God calling you to serve in? What, 
what, uh, maybe it's raising your children. That is a great work. Or maybe it's mentoring a young man or a young girl uh, into what it means to be a Christ follower. Maybe it's restoring some part of this broken community that we live in. Like, I, we, we desperately need to begin some type of addiction ministry. I feel like we do. You know, is that, is that a calling? Is that some brokenness that you've been called to? Um, there are going to be distractions to these tasks. There are going to be people who are in opposition to these great works. But if you can remember that you have been called to a great work, so I can't come. If you can remember Nehemiah 6, 3, it might be that, that that's all you need to stay on task and to get the work done. 52 days they built the wall. It, it, you know, it hasn't been that long since Kim came to Cornerstone. You might think that the brokenness in your life is going to take for years to repair. Well, I'm going to tell you something. God does the heavy lifting in the restoration. He can do amazing things, especially with a community of people that love you and love him. It's a lot of hope, and it's found in Jesus. Christ was called to a good work to bring us salvation, and he did. And for that, we have all the reasons in the world to follow him. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for Kim's story. I thank you for Nehemiah's story. I thank you for the story, your story. And I just pray, O oh Lord, that you would um, cause us to not, not be distracted, not be discouraged, but you would call us to a great work. And that might be as something as simple and as profound as having a great marriage or having a great family or or working through some brokenness. Maybe we're going through a divorce. Maybe we're going through some, some really devastating moment in our life, a loss of a loved one. But, Father, there's renewal. And maybe that's what you've called us to, finding renewal, finding restoration. And so, Lord, help us not to become discouraged, overwhelmed, that you are, you are still rebuilding lives, even after the worst of circumstances. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. You can find us on the web at cornerstonechatham.org.